Hello there, it's Jamila Jamel. Take a deep breath. Let your breath out slowly to the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Do you feel better? Well, on my podcast, I Weigh, this month we'll be exploring ways to tackle mental health and feel better with guests like Simon Sinek from The Optimism Company, therapist Vienna Farron, comedian Neil Brennan, and many more. Listen to I Weigh wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to TV I Say with Ashley Ray, your go-to podcast for discovering what to watch on TV and getting behind-the-scenes insight from the people who make the shows you love. Before we dive in, your weekly reminder that the WGA, well, we're still on strike. So please go to entertainmentcommunity.org and donate to Hollywood crew members in need, help us get groceries. It's, it's going to be a long fight, so please help us out. Go donate. But okay, today I am joined by the one and only John Lovett. Yes, you know John as a TV writer and host of the Pod Save America podcast and Love It or Leave It, uh, which you probably have heard me on a few times. <laughs> Starting June 22nd, Love It or Leave It is kicking off a slew of live shows across the country, and $1 of every ticket sold will be donated directly to Vote Save America's Fund to protect queer and trans youth from discriminatory legislation. So... <laughs> Welcome to TV Club. Hi. I'm so glad to... So good to see you. Right? To be on the on, other side I of it. I know. Now let's see, <laughs> let's see how you host. Right? Like maybe I'll, just, maybe I'll make you play a bunch of games and right. and get in trouble for your hot takes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, well, listen, you get yourself in trouble. No one no, no one puts a gun to your head no, and makes that, you yeah, that's issue true. hot take. It is it is my own hot TV takes. Yeah. And I got a few of them today. Okay. I, we're, okay. we're hot TV taking it up. There's a lot to get into. I do want to start, though, this past weekend, I was at my 10-year college reunion. Uh, I'm bringing that up because we are both Williams College alumni. Williams College alumni. The weirdest little place in the world. I think for different reasons. I'm I'm glad and I, I had a really great time ultimately at Williams. But I think both of like, what the fuck were either one of us doing at right? Williams College? What, <laughs> what, what was wrong with there? our 17-year-old brains that we looked at the whole world, spun a globe, and we're like, sports school, rural mass. Rural that's Massachusetts. For us. This one right here, where yeah. you get off uh, in Albany at the airport, you drive an hour and a half from yeah. there uh, through the mountains, and then you get there and you're like, why am I in this bubble? A purple yeah. bubble, as we call it. Uh, it when was it's my... news that there's Thai food. Yes. Have you heard the news? We have Thai we food. We have Thai food now. Uh, so there's a dispensary in Williamstown now. Whoa. Yeah. That was the big news this trip. Incredible. Uh, and there's two coffee shops instead of just one now. Wow. Yeah. Things are changing. Did Williams in any way inspire you to be a TV writer? Did they help you be creative? Yes. I mean, Williams was great for me. I think looking back on it, it's like, I thought it was the right place, then I thought it was the wrong place, but yeah. now I know it was the right place. And I think for me, it was a safe place to work through some of the issues around insecurities, 
uh, sexual identity. Oh, yeah. That I think that if I'd gone to like a school in New York, it would have eaten me alive. It would have eaten me like, alive. Like I was not, I would have, you know, you, you think you're ready. You're not. You're not. You're I, chi- I was a child. Yeah, I was a child. I did the same, right? At Williams, I, first year I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And by the year time I graduated, I was like, I hate this. Take me off every alumni email list. Don't ever contact me again. I will never be back here. And then two years later, I'm like, actually, it was pretty great. I met some really amazing people. Put me back on the list. What's going on? Why don't I get invited to things? <laughs> and I do think like I it was nice for me to be in a small pond. Like I did math, oh. which ended up being like, I think, a really good thing for me just to have that. Okay, your three. Hey. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's not something I did before or could have done since. So I'm glad I had that experience. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I was a Div 1 girl just, you know, making up a history major. I was just like, I want to study TV. Is that cool? And they were like, sure. That's nice. <laughs> so you for that television. reason, I did. Yeah. I, I, my right. thesis was like the history of black TV. Okay. And I basically just made it up, but they let me do it. And now you're using your degree every goddamn every day. Every day. That's every good. Every day. That's so good. there we go. Let's get into the watch list. What a beautiful walk down memory lane. <laughs> no, no. Down uh, the Spring food Street is, for us. Down Spring Street for us. Uh, the food is still bad on campus sure. also. Of course. Uh, watch list. You know, what is on your watch list? What did you, what'd you am, do in the last week? I am crushing Mrs. Davis. Yes. I love that show. I, I I love that show. It is like made for me. It is so funny. It is out to fucking lunch. Yes. I love a show that just says, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is absolutely off the walls bananas. <laughs> if you try to explain what you are watching to another to person, another person, you seem like you have lost touch with reality. Yeah. They're so good. But the, the thing about it is inside of this batshit universe that at times is it just very funny but then at times actually takes itself seriously in a way that works for me it does something that i think a lot of dramas now give short shrift which is the characters are excellent they're excellent and a lot of the moments but even side of this plot that's just outlandish and enormous and there's tons of plot in every episode which makes it exciting and fun a lot of the turns and a lot of the moments are just based on relationships and yeah. the way these characters know each other that actually has been established slowly over eight episodes. And there are tons of small dramas that don't do the same character development. And there are tons of big shows that are so up their own asses, they don't give you as much plot. Yeah, And this is doing, it's just so fucking good. Yeah. And that felt like kind of a dig at Secession, a show I love. But this last season, very little plot. If I heard Gojo one more time in that last season of Secession, I was going to kill myself. I was like, give me something else. My view of Secession is I don't speak ill of the dead. All right. Uh, Don't don't be sad that it's over. Smile because it happened. Wow. All right. That's how I feel about Secession. We're getting hot TV takes. I just I just like given the fucking quantity, not quality universe that we now live in. Yeah, I am. I like. I hear what you're saying. I acknowledge it. I receive it. But that's all that I can do. Fair. And honestly, Mrs. Davis, it, it was my number one show and finale. Of... I haven't seen the finale. I have one episode left. Don't just know. Okay. Sincerely, okay. no spoilers. Sincerely, I will not spoil it. Because I am I... so excited for this yes. last episode. And, and it I'm is saving it. so, so good. It is the show and finale that for me just was like perfect landing. You're watching and you're like, how are they going to get all these threads to make sense? There's one episode. They nail it. Stick the landing. Uh, If you haven't watched Mrs. Davis, which means you aren't listening to me because I've been telling you to watch it. uh, But if you haven't, it's about a nun who is trying to defeat AI 
by finding the Holy Grail. <laughs> is the actual like Holy the Grail. The actual Holy Grail. That's like the top line summary of the show. And of course, she does it with the help of her husband, who is... The hot guy from Greek. Oh, well. <laughs> and and her, literally, her literal husband, Jesus, Jesus Christ uh, of Nazareth. Who is... Ever heard of him? Ever She's heard of him. legit married to him. Yeah. Who is... Her husband. Like, actually played by a Middle Eastern actor. And then on top of that, he's a non-monogamous Jesus. Oh, yeah. He, yes. Jesus in this is um, he believes in compersion. <laughs> yes, he believes in compersion. Uh, he <laughs> is having sex. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Look, in the Mrs. Davis. In, look, here's the thing you have to understand about Peacock, which means here's what you have to understand about Comcast. Comcast yeah. believes that Jesus fucks. Yes. Comcast believes. That's it. That's it. That's a tenet of Comcast yeah. out of Philadelphia. It's something that. They believe. Yeah. And you see it across all their programming. It's, a, it's all of it. Like, <laughs> sports, weather. Sport, all, it's just, and again, Jesus fucks. Jesus, this is Jesus. Jesus has sex. <laughs> yeah. And once you get to the Jesus part, you're like, what is going on here? And then I, I there's a whale. There's, there's a whale. There's a whale. and But all of that sounds crazy. But at the end of the day, the relationship that meant the most to me was the one between her and her mom. And it is so, so beautiful. Uh, I think it's Angelica Houston who's no, it's not. Oh, no. No. It's, not it's definitely one hundred percent, just zero out of ten. Not even fucking close. What is her name? Just, I mean, I don't, I don't know the actor, actor's name. She does, does a wonderful job. She does not, not look like, sound like, or look, act she like. Kind of looks like Angelica. That, I mean, I, I guess like in the sense that like she's maybe tall. She's kind of mean and has she's black tall. hair. She's tall. She does. Um, she has a. Uh, she has an imposing presence as an actor. Elizabeth Marvel. Elizabeth Marvel. Okay. And she's great in it. She is great in it. Oh, she she's so good in so many things. We love Elizabeth Marvel here. Love and death. Oh, she was in The Dropout, of course. Ugh. Loved The Dropout. Loved, loved The Dropout. Oh, that was so good. The Dropout was like a rebel. I thought, a, a story that I thought had been told to death yeah. in the hands of Liz Merriweather. And Michael Showalter. And Michael Showalter. Two brilliant comics. Was the episode that was just basically about male insecurity the different ways in which like men perform for each other yeah was so interesting and like the way that episode like changed the perspective of the show and all of a sudden you just i'd never seen that satirized that way before yeah you've seen it made fun of almost like from a male point of view but it was like oh my god this is what these guys seem like this it's amazing. is truly what it's like and even you don't really get sympathy for Elizabeth Holmes, which I liked. They are honest about how she was horrible. Uh, she just went to prison. She just had her sentencing day like last week. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if pour she's one seen, out for a real one. Pour, yeah, pour one <laughs> out. I hope she. I mean, now she'll have enough time to watch the series. So I wonder. I bet she's watched it. I bet she's watched it. Here's the thing I don't understand, and I know we're off topic, and it's we can, okay. But the fact that she managed in the midst of all of this. To ensnare a handsome, wealthy husband. Right. Uh, uh, what the hell? Goals. Goals. She's incredible. It, like, she incredible. got a rich guy. And, like, I was at the Williams College reunion going to every older tent, 93 and back. Like, who is a single? Who has money? Well, how much property do you own? You a widow? Let's make this happen. <laughs> I think that's the problem. I think you can't. I think you have to work your way up to, are you a widow? Yeah. 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 <laughs> are you a widow? <laughs> are you a widow? So looking? <laughs> uh, do you have, like, a trust that yeah. I could be in? Your will, please. <laughs> uh, I'll share one from my watch list. 
I have been getting very into Yumi and my ex. Uh, it's on TLC. It is about people who have inappropriately close relationships with their exes, even though they are in new relationships. Mm. It is the wildest reality show out right now. The center couple is this couple where originally the woman stole her neighbor's husband but was still good friends with her ex-husband. And then she became friends with the new husband's ex-wife. And then she started dating the ex-wife. And then the old, the new husband gets angry. And it's just this weird polycule of, like, people. But they're also just, like, this Southern Georgia couple, which it's my favorite because it reminds me, like, there are people in the South in these places that are supposed to be so conservative who are all over TLC, like singing about like their kink life, like everything, like how they're swingers. And I'm just like, wow, this is really bridging me to, to some people. It's interesting to me, the people that need to have the rules to break. Yeah. That somehow that helps them understand that to be in a relationship with one person and have a relationship with someone else without one of them being a violation. I think there's just something about one is allowed and one is not yeah. that creates the safety of knowing that they won't abandon the main or first or appropriate relationship, that somehow it's like the breaking of a rule is ironically a protection of the rule. Yeah, You know, it's an old joke, right? That like, um, you know, in gay world, they're open relationships and then in straight world, they cheat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I understand, I like, I don't judge or I like people can pursue whatever they want. The ones that I don't, that like, just from a kind of emotional labor don't make sense to me. Like open relationships, that that checks out. Wonderful. But the people that like, yes, I have two very intense and complicated relationships right now. It's like, you are getting twice the hard parts well, yeah. and only half the good parts here. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Like there's someone in the show who is in couples therapy with their first wife. They're in couples therapy with their second partner. That's a mistake. And then they all do couples therapy, the three of them together. And then the two women will do therapy together too sometimes just to be like, how are we all feeling? And beyond wanting to watch that... <laughs> On television, I mean, I do love the show Couples Therapy, which, again, if you're not watching, you need to watch Couples Therapy. But I need to see this, like, crazy polydynamic of, like, why are you in therapy four days a week just to have two relationships? I was at the beach a couple of weeks ago, and there was a woman at the beach, and she went into the water, but she had massive, massive dangling earrings, just, wow. like, big dangling earrings. And I just was like, I don't know how I know this, but I just have this feeling that you make your life harder than it has to be. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're just making hey, things hard. You could just take there you're just making your life a little harder than it has to be. Yeah. You know? And that is all of you, me and my ex. It's like you don't have to let your ex-wife move in with your new girlfriend. You're you're making things hard. It's there's a pattern there. Yeah. Why is this how you feel? Come on. And it's it's so good. Thank you, TLC, for not teaching us anything anymore. Because I... They don't teach us a goddamn thing. Not a goddamn thing. Uh, I mean, if you want to learn how to forge K-9 papers and get someone... A K-1 visa and get someone in the country, Mm. you could probably learn how to do that from 90 Day Fiance. Yeah, and that's a skill. Yeah, that's a skill. Uh, What else is on your watch list? What's on my watch list? So I'm doing a full rewatch of Survivor. Wow, okay. So I watched... Season one, when it originally aired in in the year 99 or 2000, I think 2000. I think 2000. In the year 2000, I watched the original first season Survivor. It was a revelation when uh, Richard Hatch, spoiler alert for the very first season Survivor. If you haven't seen. Richard Hatch wins Survivor. 
Yeah. And also, by the way, Rockford, Illinois. He's from there, my hometown. Yeah. Not only did he win a million dollars in Survivor, he also famously did not pay taxes on it. Yes. <laughs> which is like an incredible move to be on a show watched by 10 times, 30, 10, 20 times as many people have ever seen Succession. Yeah. <laughs> and be like, nope, it's a secret. It's My a million secret. Nobody a secret knows. from the Fed. <laughs> but uh, I watched the second season, the third season, then I gave it up. And then it's I'm coming back to it now, almost, I guess 20 years later. Yeah. And it's like. What is it like to watch a reality show that old? So first of all, you feel after that first season how it just changed television. You just watch these people in the first seasons. I mean, really over the course of the first like 10 seasons, you watch people discover how to be on television because the first couple seasons, it's true of Drag Race as well. Oh, yeah. That especially those early seasons of Drag Race when it was like on logo, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. And nobody was seeing it. Yeah. And obviously Drag Race changed, like put it in front of so many people. But really those early seasons of Drag Race were a competition to win in front of RuPaul on Drag Race, the cameras being there almost like ancillary to the experience. And it was over a couple of years that the people on Drag Race and also on Survivor slowly started realizing, oh, there's two games here. Yeah. There's the game and then there's the the metagame the audience of game. being yeah. on Survivor and the, being part of the history of Survivor. And so, like, it's been interesting. So the first season, they don't know how to vote. They don't know how to form alliances. Like, nobody's talking beforehand. It's only Richard, actually, that starts cracking. Like, holy shit. See? I'm going to run this fucking town. Yeah. I'm going to run this That's island. how winners think. And then that slowly evolves, which is really interesting. And then you get to the later seasons, and you and you really feel the country having watched two decades of reality TV. Yeah. And they are coming in with a storyline. Like... Over the years of reality TV show across the board, it used to be episode seven, episode eight, the characters would sit down and have a moment and they'd be like, you know, I'm I'm only here because my sister is sick. And now like the first episode, first they're like, they, like a tear goes down their eyes. Like, I'm sorry I snapped at you about <laughs> the fact that we just met. My mom is sick. My mom is and sick. And I'm doing this for her. And it just reminded me of my sister who's ill and always wanted me to be on Survivor. Yeah. And it's like, okay. It's like the girls on Drag Race, they come already with like their catchphrases. Like yeah. they're ready to be on TV. They're ready to become a GIF. And it's like, that kind of takes away for the, from the fun of it for me. Like that's kind of why I fell off of Survivor. I did go back and watch the Mike White season. <laughs> that's my next season. Oh my God. That's that my one next season. was really fun to watch. Because I'm now in the, th I'm in the 30s. Yeah. I'm in the 30s. Oh. A lot of Survivor out there. Yeah, a lot of, lot of Survivor. The Mike White season, though, <laughs> watching this guy who clearly at the time is like, I'm basically a failed TV writer. I am here to do what I can. <laughs> so I saw Mike White on The Amazing Race. He was also on The Amazing Race. And I remember... Do you remember? Do you remember? Him? Are you guys remember him being on the Yeah. Oh my god, I didn't know that. Yeah. It feels like there should be some rule or something. Well, I think the rule is if they like someone on Survivor, they're like, let's put them on the Amazing well, Race and sense. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember watching that, and it it was I think I may get this wrong, but I remember it was a big deal to me because I think he went on with his dad, and it was he was gay, and it was like I'm gay and I'm here with my dad. And it was like, that was a big deal at the time. I don't remember what year that was. It was I think it was before his Survivor season. I think it was years earlier. Oh, wow. I think. Check me in the comments. I guess, yeah, yeah. If, if that's not correct, they'll let me know. They let me know everything. They're very, very mean. Cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. It checks out. It checks out. Uh, 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I did also rewatch Kid Nation. Like right now, everyone is like, oh, with this writer strike, reality TV is going to dominate again. Like TV is going to be horrible. How do you feel about that? Everyone's saying it's like the death of peak TV. And now we're all just going to be like tied to our couches watching Kid Nation 2. I don't know what's going to happen, obviously. I think it's all a little bit exaggerated. First of all, there's a lot of like, and I'm not an expert in any of this, but there's a lot of like, narratives that forget that this isn't like a like obviously there are heroes and villains in this story but ultimately this is a math story which is there was a competition and a frenzy and they spent more on content that they made and yeah yeah, a big part of that is the fact that these models are changing and we're moving away from cable and we're moving towards streaming and they replaced a model that worked with one that isn't working yet and then there's this conversation about how, oh, and like, if you have a hit, you don't make the money anymore. Now, that's all true. And so there's two things that are being said. If there's a hit, you're not making money anymore because of this new business model of streaming. And uh, it's hard for writers getting started to make a living. Those two things are intention. Because right now, and like, I, I, there's there's nuance to this. These companies are rapacious. but to some extent, the money that's not going to the hit makers after a hit, it actually isn't in all cases going to the bottom line of these companies. Yeah. It's going to subsidize the the shows that wouldn't have gotten made in the old version of this because the reality is, and like this is just, there's just more being made than ever before. Now, I believe in the writer's cause. And I think the strike is completely just. I think the goal here has to be to set lines to make sure that being a professional television and film writer is a sustainable, stable career. Yeah. And one that is lucrative in an industry that makes billions and billions and billions of dollars, one that is incredibly powerful culturally. If a group of people that are highly intelligent, incredibly skilled, provide a service that creates billions of value. If that group of people can't get together and take some power back from major corporations, then everyone is pretty fucked. Like yeah. we need, that is important. That is totally true. But I do worry that when the dust settles, what is going to happen 
is a right-sizing in the sense that whatever was being made that made these companies, the streaming aspect of this business not profitable, they're going to try to make less. And when they do, I don't know what happens. Like, I think there's just going to be less scripted television. And the writers who work on those, I think, will be better protected by a better deal. But I do worry that some of the people that have gotten their first or second gig, not gotten another, are now striking. I worry that some of those people may not find work again. And that in a lot of ways, they're striking not for themselves, but for another generation or another group of writers coming up. And that's a noble thing to do, but it doesn't feel like it's part of the conversation. And yeah, people are talking about this aspect where during this strike, we're seeing just last week, I think ABC canceled four new shows that were about to go into their third season that had writers who, again, are second job, third job, who were counting on that, who were like, well, yeah, I know we're on strike, but I thought there was no way they would cancel Grand Crew. There was no way they would cancel Young Rock. It's The Rock. <laughs> I watched both of those shows. I'm very sad they were canceled. Did you? I didn't. You didn't get into the the Young Rock. I'm not. Par- I'm not. I felt as though I couldn't watch Young Rock without first seeing Rock and Old Rock. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have understood. You wouldn't have the understood references. the background, and yeah, it, it uh-huh. is a lot to get into. You know, it's not like your Young Sheldon where you can just jump right in. Yeah. Okay. It's a people more think you need to watch Sheldon to see, to young, see Sheldon, young Sheldon, but actually no. you don't. No, actually, and, not and at we've all. always said that. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. But Young Rock, it, it was it was a bit too much for the American public, I guess. And Grand Crew, which, you know, people said was basically the new black happy endings. It was, you know, a, a hilarious show that'll now just be like a big cult hit. But it did well with ratings. There's no reason to cancel it except, oh, everyone's on strike and we know that things are going to be different. We have too much TV. We really only need one hit now and it's Abbott Elementary. That's how these networks are sort of recalculating things. And people don't seem to realize for every, like, Ted Lasso, you have to have the show people aren't watching. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. It all this is where I also it's like even with the fact that, like, there's a challenge to the business model again, like the writers are asking for such a like this is about money. This is about money. And ultimately what they're asking for is such a small percentage increase given the overall revenue of these companies. Yeah. But there is a little bit of like a um, Stalin doing farming thing where Stalin's like, if you plant twice as much wheat in same place, twice as much wheat. And it's like, no, 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 no wheat. It works. Now you killed all the fucking wheat. Because it's like, because it's look, it's it's um, every once in a while there's an executive who comes up with a really brilliant idea. Make more hits and fewer misses. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. Who thought? <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a really good idea. So I do like, I don't know how you end up with, do you get swings like Mrs. Davis in a world where they're making less maybe because of the creators have real cachet yeah big names that's what it takes now but i don't think you get a bear no you you don't get the bear you don't get uh killing it also on peacock which is really good yeah like i don't know the things that break out the bubble choices that break out in a kind of list of things that didn't like i don't know which how many of those you get like all like we do it has been there was some moment where I was like, I cannot believe how good television is right now. Yeah. What happens when they're making 10, 20, 30% less? I think there's just 10, 20, 30% less, less of and, bad end, and, like of, good, of hits yeah. and misses. Exactly. You can't uh, just make more hits. You can't. And if I wish, I don't know. but no, I think we're just about to see a lot of 
mid-range sort of mediocre shows with big names in them. And that's what these platforms are throwing money at. Uh, that seems to be the Apple TV game plan. Well, that's, uh, yeah, but like, I don't, it's like Apple. That's the other thing about all this. It's like Apple and Amazon have a totally different set of equities to yeah. Netflix, which is a totally different set of incentives to the networks. It, it's all very, to, it's all very confusing. I don't, they're all negotiating together, but they want different things yeah. out of this. I, I don't know how that all shakes out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, d- did you watch Ted Lasso? I watched the first two seasons. First season. I'm 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 now finally watching Ted Lasso. The universal praise turned me off. <laughs> I just was like, oh. And it was just always about like, like whenever someone tells me like it's feel good, I'm always like, that's not for me. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it is actually great. Say, of course it's great. I would say if you watch the first two seasons, honestly, you can stop there. Okay, people say can, that yeah. too. People say that too. Uh, I had I'm a special yeah, it. I had a special request to talk about the third season of Ted Lasso. Uh I guess people deeply want to know what I thought. I won't spoil anything for you, but I'll say uh, it it is clear there were big shifts in the writer's room between season two and three. They basically started making shrinking. Brett Goldstein is a producer on that. Um, Bill Lawrence, uh, he left like Ted Lasso completely to go work on shrinking. Uh, And those were, I think, the people who really understood TV and structure and sort of the sitcom-esque joke element that Ted Lasso is really good at. And with them gone, they stretched the 30 minute episodes out to an hour. Always a mistake. Always, Always a mistake. mistake. Yeah. Orange oh. is the New Black did that. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? If this had to be on a network and they had to cut these one hour, eight minute episodes down yep. to 51 minutes, this whole thing would be so much stronger. So much stronger. And, and yeah. And Ted Lasso suffers from that. Kill it, your darlings, people. Yeah. It, you're truly watching an episode and you're like, how is this an hour and 20 minutes? Like, how is this a Ted Lasso movie <laughs> and nothing has happened in this episode? For me, I didn't think much happened in this final season. It kind of just closes out how you think it is. Like, it, they just kind of lay out, you know, Ted is going to do this. Rebecca's going to do this. And then everything just happens how you knew it would happen. Hmm. Uh, this upset fans who were angry that the show did not eventually do Ted Becca, uh, the romance between those two. Who, yeah. I got angry letters from people that were like, no, there were signs. Ted Becca was going to happen. There's this part where they like look at each other. And that was a sign that they were always going to get married. And I was like, I don't think that's how TV works. Yeah. There were things I thought I was watching in the first season. I thought they were building towards something. And I was like, oh, that was just me reading something. I think a little more into this show than what was there. Yeah. Just a lighthearted thing. Which, yeah, it's it's a lighthearted show. Let it be what it wants to be. Yeah. And so the fans, the final episode, there's this uh, sequence at the end where Ted gets on a plane and we see the future like you know everybody what happens to them like oh Mm -hmm. Rebecca's dating this guy and fans were so angry about the end they started a theory that the end is a dream sequence and none of it happened (laughs) and they were writing out all of these things like oh this is a sign it's a dream it's a dream and it got to the point where the writers had to go online and be like it was not a dream all of that stuff actually happened Which I always love in a TV show, just like after the season airs has to come out and be like, oh, no, this is what this meant. This is what this character did. Oh, There are so many shows. I mean, Game of Thrones, I think, obviously, famously didn't stick the landing. Yeah. I thought Mad Men didn't know how to wrap itself up. Ooh, wow. Okay. I'll say it. Yeah. You. Wow. That's kind of a hot take. I loved the Mad Men finale. I, I, oh, so I should say that I loved the finale episode, but okay. I found it separated Don and Peggy true the heart of the show yeah divided it in half and it was like hey you know this world isn't real 
You can just make up a reason for them to be together. Right? You can literally just yeah put Peggy on a plane to, to California for whatever reason. I don't know. There's a pitch, something. Get them put to them work together. together for a while. We like. Yeah. Remember how good they were together? Remember so the, good. They're two of the best actors. She's incredible. Yeah. Can we get them back together? Let's do something like that. Let's. I, I, even when he's mean to her, I want to see it. And instead, they just kind of sidelined him with that. I don't know, chick's niece or something. And you're like, God, I hope he doesn't sleep with her. Yeah. Oh God, Mad Men. <laughs> I do feel that Ted Lasso, yeah, a lot of hype, couldn't live up to it. It happens. I think we're kind of coming down from that crash of the quarantine TV. Like there were all these shows that were perfect for early quarantine. And now we're all just like, ooh, why did we watch that? I do think that because all of these networks and streamers went through this period where they couldn't shoot anything for a while. And then they came roaring back and they're like, we got through the pandemic. We can get through the strike. And I do think there's like a little bit of false optimism about what's going to happen in six to eight months when we hit the hole of things that aren't being made. Like, I don't know. It's on the way. I don't know. Yeah, I I just want it to be resolved like as soon as possible. I also just like I want shit to be shot in New York and L.A. and not fucking Toronto. I I want our country (laughs) to have a big thriving TV and film business. Like, I want the writers to get their fair share. I want these companies to give more information about what's working, what's not, even though I do think it's not because they're afraid of telling you about the hits. I think it's about revealing the misses. Yeah, the misses. I truly think if they let those numbers out and people see, like, this wasn't a hit, why did they renew it? Why did this get the money and Santa Clarita Diet was canceled when it was doing these numbers? It would be chaos. Yeah, especially when there's, like, every person on Twitter as a studio executive who knows exactly how to run these companies. Um, And like, hey, okay, you want the option to use AI, even though right now no one has a fucking clue how. Just say you won't for a while. Just till the next, just get us, can you just get people back to fucking work? Get them to work. Like, no, you can't use AI. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you can't go to a computer and say, give me a bank heist movie. Right. You can't do it. You can't, even the people want to believe the technology will be there someday. It's not. So I think people have gotten this idea that, oh, they're going to replace screenwriters and have AI write scripts. And I do think we're a ways from that. Although I think people are, overestimating how bad bad shit is yeah i'm sorry they're overestimating how hard it is to write bad shit (laughs) yeah underestimating how bad bad shit can be yeah and how bad the writing can be to still be a movie but not that they're good i mean writing well is impossible it's impossible yeah but (laughs) But writing something bad is not as hard it's not as hard and there's a lot of bad stuff that gets through (laughs) and the same right like you know ai can pass the bar it can write like a terrible writer at some point pretty soon but i'm more worried about basically like the studio's having AI in a way in which they control the rights. So basically when they're looking for something to adapt, instead of having to buy a book or buy a story or buy a pitch, they can own outright a story document that yeah. they created. And I don't know what the legal and like intel and like kind of ownership property implications are for something like that, but that is my fear that like the writing, the work will be done by a person, but the studio will own a greater share of whatever they make because the originating concept will come from the corporation itself. And yeah. I think that is fucking bleak. That is bleak. And the fact that the 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 writers were like, hey, can look, obviously no one's doing this, but maybe just for a while, not use AI. And they're like, mm, no, we won't even talk about it. <laughs> nope. We remain 
uh, we like the option. Thank you. Yeah. Like, oh, no. We got to fight on this one. Yeah. We didn't even know you wanted that. Exactly. Oh, on, shit. Like the commercial agency side, I've already been working with brands that come to me and they're like, so we had ChatGPT make this script. Can you make it make sense and make it better? And it's like, you know, I could have just written it. And that, and then we wouldn't have to have me editing a computer. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that is that's that was all a very um, depressing look at the future of television. Uh, <laughs> oh, but can I? I'll say. Let me just on a on a positive note. I I will say this. In the nineties, no one thought they were living through a golden age of movies. Yeah. And or the in the early two thousand, no one's like, oh my god. There'll never be another time like this. <laughs> Meanwhile, 2007, there's no country for old men and there will be blood in the same year. Or, you know, now we look back on the top 10 movies from any year before the year 2000. We're like, oh my God, there's not a Marvel movie in sight. Look how fun and, and cool and different all these movies were. At the time, it was like, what happened to the 70s? What happened to the last golden age? This industry is always collapsing. Yeah. And it is always being described as the last gasps of a bygone industry and yet incredible writers and incredible stories still seem to happen year after yeah. year. And like, I would rather, I mean, right, we could live, I don't think it'd be great, but like <laughs> there could be half as many dramas and comedies and it would still be three times as many as there were when we were kids. Yeah. And obviously I want there to be more, but like, the obituary for Hollywood has been written many times. And like, I just think we will, there'll be a new golden age and, a, and we'll be like, I can't believe how good this stuff is. I mean, obviously it's in my retina um, <laughs> yeah. and I have to watch an ad. Yeah. You have to uh, watch like from five a, ads. I'd watch a BP ad. <laughs> yeah. And if I close my eyes, they pause it. But, but, yeah. but man, uh, this good. show rules. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. This new, have you seen the new Blue Ivy show? It's incredible. Oh, so, so good. She's like, oh, her and Malia, gosh, they really made incredible, it Incredible, incredible. Uh, anything else on your watch list? I don't, I think, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say the other two on Max now. Uh, if you aren't watching the other two, it is so, so funny. It's basically about these two older siblings of a young pop star, Justin Bieber type. Uh, in this new season, they've really been digging into the idea of the gay villain. And it is brilliant. Carrie, the main character, has just been getting more and more self-involved and evil. The last episode was just taking down Disney. <laughs> I'm and... excited. I've I've like watched uh, the first season and I'm so excited to like, I have so many episodes to watch yeah. and I cannot wait. This new season is... Each one just gets better. They do this whole thing where, you know how Disney was like, this is our first openly gay character in an animated show. And it was like, how is it gay? <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just like a ghost. And it's like, how is the ghost gay? Yeah. And they have Carrie play this character, Globby, who is just like... Yeah, Globby is here. He's queer. He's Globby. Like, he's a glob who dates other globs. And that's what makes him gay. <laughs> You see that the the uh, in uh, the new Spider Man multiverse movie, there it's unspoken, but yes. there might be a trans spider person. Yes, there might be a trans spider person, but it's never remarked upon. It's There's never just remarked. A flag. There's a flag, and the character's father has a trans protect trans kids pin. That's cool. Yeah, so people are like, that's cool, but also they they are not going to say it out loud, it. and then. You have the people who are like, well, they use bisexual lighting in this scene, so that has to uh, okay. Mean... All right, bisexual lighting. Everyone comp. You know what? There's too many Gaylor. The Gaylor brainworm is spreading to the culture. It is. It's like there was a pink light in that in that scene. 
Yeah. There were people. Queer yeah. lighting. Come on. There's a part, I guess, where Miles has just the colors look like the lesbian flag and people were like, this is their way of saying that actually Miles is a lesbian, is a lesbian, like trans mask, butch. And I was just like, "I, you guys. <laughs> well, the other thing, too, is take solace. These movies take place in a multiverse. True. There are many trans spider people. Yeah. There are any spider person you can imagine exists because it takes place in the multiverse. Yeah. A stupid idea that removes the stakes of every movie Marvel makes. I also am not a multiverse fan. Like The multiverse makes me absolutely fucking crazy. Yeah. Hey, guys, you just told us that every time our hero wins, there's an identical place where our hero loses. Our hero loses. Okay. You just told me that. So that also means there's a place where uh, Spider-Man is... Um, a white nationalist. Yeah. And you want me to be okay with that? And trans. And trans, yeah. There's a place where uh, Spider-Man um, killed Elvis. <laughs> I would watch that one. That's I would, a cool movie. Yeah, that's a really good movie. I would actually completely watch that. I Yeah. Uh, for me, the multiverse got tired with Rick and Morty, I, which, yes, I watch because, yeah. and Spider-Man rips off the mask. It's Vladimir Putin. It's Vlad- I love it. That exists in that the multiverse. That exists, yeah. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So moving on, I want to talk about political TV shows. Okay. Uh, listeners, if you do not know, uh, John co-created 1600 Pen and also wrote on the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like today... He's also a speechwriter before yeah, that. Yes, so you are also a speechwriter. You did some very important things for Obama. Just you, saying. Yeah, they told me, you know, you, uh, you, you secretly officiated the first same-sex marriage in the White House I before did. the Obama administration officially endorsed marriage equality. You know that? Well, my producers do their homework, so... <laughs> Uh, how did you do that secretly? Did you just like sneak uh, your friends in? <laughs> oh. mm. Did you ever get caught? Was anyone just like, John? I didn't get caught, but I told the story. Then I was like, oh, I shouldn't have told the story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should have kept yeah. it a secret. Now, Obama's going to come out and be like, your marriage doesn't count anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's null and void. Uh, but I feel like today we aren't really getting the same type of political show that we used to kind of around that time of like the West Wing, the network, the things that tried to like give you positivity and optimism about like the American democratic process. I feel like now every show that is so somewhat political is really just like about rich people like secession or billions. I've been watching white house plumbers, which is about the Watergate scandal. 
uh, and is just very funny. It's like a lot of that type of stuff, but nothing that really looks at you know, what we had to endure under Trump and what we're looking at next year or anything that's trying to make us like believe that Joe Biden is uh, President Barnett or something. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a very hard moment to do a serious drama about American politics because of how hyper real Trump has been. That Trump is a ridiculous overwritten. I mean, look, it's one of the most played out fucking jokes in the history of of social media. But uh, the writers sure uh, went a little zany this season right? on America. Yeah. Oh, that that, 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 that Yeah, I hate that. Joke. The, that pitch wouldn't have worked in my writer's room. <laughs> the worst. But I think the challenge like, I was not that if someone was going to crack it, it was going to be me. I wasn't a very good drama writer. Should have stuck to comedy. But uh, but uh, I was working on a pilot in 2015. It's actually a drama about a contested American election between uh, a Democrat and a Republican who both declared victory. And then it descended into into a version of an insurrection. I was very at the time I was like, wow. oh, I, I was very look, I uh, if it had happened, it would have been so fucking cool. Wow. And so prescient. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't because I couldn't fucking crack it because I was so hard figuring out how to dramatize American politics while Trump was rising because either you are ignoring what Trump is and coming up with a story that doesn't feel like our world anymore, or you're creating a parody of Trump, which is impossible because Trump is a parody of himself. himself. And so I think that has made it really hard to figure out how to find an access point to do what the West Wing did. I mean, the thing, like there are people now that I think that are are critical of West Wing and that's all fine. but. What makes The West Wing, I think, such an amazing and impressive show is what that show pulls off, the hard parts it deals with without you noticing, creating an alternate universe that feels both of that era but kind of timeless that exists in parallel. Actually, the similar thing that played out with Trump played out after 9-11. Once 9-11 happens... All of a sudden, the kind of end of history energy of the West Wing, the like post-Cold War, Bill Clinton sort of success of the liberal order, era of peace and prosperity, politics, the stakes have been lowered. All of that, which ultimately wasn't true. That was a myth. Yeah. But the collective sense that that was the kind of stable world we live in was erased. And once that was done, the West Wing existing in parallel to the real world became harder to kind of abide. And they did that episode right after 9-11 about but not about 9-11 and then kind of moved past it. Yeah. But the show was never the same because the world got harder. The world got darker. Yeah. And the show had to as well. Yeah. And I think today, I I, I don't know, I, I mean, in a world where we're dealing with quarantines and people want the feel good Ted Lasso TV and everyone's talking about like the Ted Lassofication of television, I don't think you could do a dark political show these days. Right. <laughs> like I, but you couldn't also do it. You couldn't also make the West Wing now. Either. Yeah, you we couldn't. Just, it's it's also I think we're all a little bit a little our eyes are a little too open. Yeah. They're more, you know, th- that's a social media thing, too. You know, there's, you know. 
we've all met these people up close and personally. All of them, the ones we love and the ones we hate and the ones we think are fine. Yeah. And that makes it much harder to create the Capra kind of American president world, the fantasy world of the White House. The only places where I think it's, it doesn't succeed for me, but I think it succeeds is the White House down, uh, Olympus has fallen version. Yes. That can succeed because it just basically glorifies the power yeah. of the American presidency, not the role, not, not the, the role. role. There's it's no the, politics. the responsibility and the, you know, uh, and in fact, my my producer made a list of the shows that like have somewhat had success. And the biggest one is like Designated Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> which is just when everyone dies and like the nicest guy in who happens to be like, I don't know, a secretary in the House of Representatives gets made president because he just happens to be the only one who lives. Well, he's a designated survivor. He's a designated he must have been like the, it must have been Veterans Affairs or Interior or something. Yeah, I'm going to trust you on this because I yeah. don't know the order of how it goes. I don't know either. Yeah, but, you know, it, I feel like all of the shows now, uh, Designated Survivor, Madam Secretary, are all just like, White House, the White House blew up. All the presidents are dead. We have no choice but to listen to this one person. And it's so interesting to me when I compare that to like Veep and Parks and Recreation and how we could kind of have this like light, lighthearted version of like local politics. And we could be like, oh, no, oh, yeah, the Veep presidential people, they all sucks. Politics suck. It's fun to laugh at. And now we're just like, no, <laughs> yeah. blow it all up. I hate them. Well, it is sad. I do think it's actually sad. There was a moment when Biden, there was a, a two stories in a row, one where um, I think it was like bring your kids to work day. And there was a little kid dressed as a secret service agent. And then like standing in front of Biden with sunglasses, you know, two yeah, little kids. Yeah. <laughs> and then there was a right, right around then the South Korean president had a state dinner at the white house and he sang American pie with the president. And it was like, I had this moment and you know, look, the internet punishes any earnestness or hope that there could be a better world <laughs> and, and brief moment fantasy of living in such a place. But I watched that and, I, and what I felt in seeing it was, imagine what it would be like. And I, I think actually it would be good if more progressives did this. Like, imagine how politics would feel if the stakes were lower. Yeah. Imagine how it would feel if we were able to so thoroughly defeat the the like revanchist right wing movement in this country that we didn't have to live in terror that every election might be our last if our if our fucking TikTok screens and social media feeds weren't filled with just reminders both in terms of like people making scenes at supermarkets and people making scenes on the House floor of Congress yeah. that there's this thirty to forty percent of this country. That would just like rather the country burn up than see liberals happy. Yeah. <laughs> like if, just imagine what it would feel like to lower the stakes by so thoroughly defeating this version of Republicanism that the only choice they had was to figure out how to be normal. Yeah. <laughs> like imagine it. It's such a fantasy. But I just want to take a second like to imagine oh. what it would be like because it because the other option is just to assume it'll be like this forever. It'll be like this forever. And maybe it will. And but maybe, I but I but, but I, I want to hold on to that little glimmer that when I see Joe Biden singing a song with the South Korean president I can be like, "Ah, there's our guy and everything's yeah. going to be okay." It's all going to be good. No one's going to stop this grandpa. 
He's my grandpa. It's my grandpa. He's America's grandpa. Yeah. And no grandpa could beat him. No America gra- would never vote for that other for grandpa. For that other grandpa. The indicted one. No, no. The one that sucks. The one that's getting arraigned today. Yeah. No, absolutely Ooh, not. Happy arraignment day, Yeah, everybody. yeah, happy arraignment day. We're counting down the clock. I think it's 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. So uh, before we go, I, I do want to do some hot takes with you. All right. I want to put you in the hot seat. Put me in the hot based seat. On what, but based on what we've just said. What's going to uh, happen? If you have listened to Love It or Leave It, uh, there's a segment, a game where John has us defend hot takes we don't really believe in. Hmm. So I'd like to do this now. Okay. So just uh, all okay. Yeah. So so usually it'll be something like, oh, Twitter's the best thing in the world, and I have sure. to lie and act like it is. Exactly. And so for you, the first one, Secession is the best show ever made. Succession is the best show ever made. Um, there have been shows that have excellent performances. There have been shows that have been exquisitely written, and there have been shows that have brought a beautiful direction and kind of sense of place, but there's never been a show that has managed to do all three so well. Um, This is the best written show on television. And I think it is instructive that the first season, it took people a little while to come to appreciate it because they didn't realize how sophisticated (laughs) the show was. They didn't understand that because the show trusted the audience enough to not give us reaction shots to let us watch these people flounder and make fools of themselves and be embarrassing without showing us a character going, whoa, (laughs) because in the real world, people with this much money, one of the things it buys you is straight faces from employees who know that they're full of shit. Like it's, it's the best show ever made. There's never been a show Okay. There's never been a, sh- a drama as funny. There's never been a comedy as well dr- dramatized. <laughs> Boom. I, I like, like that. that. Yeah, that works. That works. Uh, and the last one, Max is the best streaming platform with an easy to use interface. <laughs> Here's what I think. There are people out there that think um, going from HBO to HBO Go slash now to HBO Max to Max was a series of blunders. Not me. Oh. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I also think when they decided to switch from HBO to Max because they wanted more people to watch fishing, uh, <laughs> that I think it's cool that when you go into Max, they didn't do what Disney did, which is say, here's Disney, here's Star Wars, here's Nat Geo, here is Marvel. You know that we have all these different amazing brands and we're going to support and nurture each one so that it continues to stand on, on its own inside of this big, beautiful Disney simple to use plus. No, no. What we're going to do is we're going to mix it all up. Yeah. And even though it's no longer called Max, there's going to be Max Originals. Even though it's no longer called HBO, there's going to be HBO stuff, but it's going to be all mixed together. Yeah. Because yeah. it needs to be a big fucking mess. And people love that. You know, people don't want a buffet. They want a stew. <laughs> they want all the foods in the one pot. Yes. Including dessert. Yeah. Just one big vat all of, of content. Your secession, your 90 Day Fiance. Your, here's the thing. You are a hog for content, and they are going to put delicious, delicious slop in the trough for you. And troughs don't have don't have appetizers and entrees. No. Is one fucking dish. And so we are all content hogs on the farm of the internet. And Max is giving us the respect of wow. filling our trough all the way to the brim every goddamn day. And you know what you do, fellow hog? You oink your way up to that fucking trough and you eat. And you eat. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. That was the best defense I've heard of Max as a platform. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. 
This was so much fun. I this was so much fun. Uh, <laughs> I just want to leave. Please leave this in. She said this is so much fun. Then she looked down at her notes and read this was so much fun, <laughs> which was really convincing. Thanks, Ashley. You know they they want me to know. They want you to say everybody we had fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's how you know. The thing about fun is you got to tell people when you've had it. When you've had it, you got to let people know, uh, and you also got to let people know to listen to Pod Save America and Love It or Leave It wherever you get your podcast. Uh, John, tell everyone how they can buy tickets to your Love It or Leave It tour and how they can donate to Vote Save America's Fund to protect queer youth from harmful legislation? Everybody go to crooked.com slash events. You can buy tickets there for our Errors Tour. You get it. Uh, yes. You get it. Uh, yeah. We'll be all across the country. We're starting in SF in a week or two, depending on when this comes out. And a portion of every ticket goes to the Fuck Bands Fund. It's the Vote Save America Fuck Bands Fund. It goes to a bunch of great groups and it goes to trans organizations that are on the ground run by and for trans people that are doing direct legal aid, direct support. Also, uh, we have a fund that goes to the political organizations that are fighting the fight. And we set a goal of 50,000. We blew through it. We set a goal for 100,000. We're almost there. We're probably going to blow through that too. And we're only at the very beginning of Pride. So, you know, you can go to cricket.com slash events to come see us on tour or go to Vote Save America to sign up. And you should sign up. You don't, you don't have to give money to sign up. You go, we'd love you to donate, but just go to Vote Save America and sign up because then you'll get emails telling you what to do. Oh. And the promise of Vote Save America is we only tell you to do the things that will really help. We prom- we don't want to waste your time. When we point you to a campaign, when we point you to a place to donate or volunteer, we want you to know that like you can come to us to trust us to have the biggest impact. They're never going to tell you to give money to Sean King. No. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Uh, and you should go to the tour. I got to do some shows yeah, last Ashley year. Taylor's it was horror. so, so fun. It is the best time. Hilarious people. You want to go. Uh, anything else you want to plug? Social media handles? No. Yeah. Okay. You know, people know find where to find you. Want. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, your homework this week. Uh, I was on my college campus getting drunk and doing drugs all weekend, so I did not watch a lot of TV. Uh, so I am going to tell you to watch the other two. Uh, we have season two of The Bear coming out by the time you're listening to this. Ooh, Ooh yeah, yeah. Really excited for that one. Uh, and I'm also once again going to ask you to watch The Curious Case of Natalia Grace on Max. Uh, we did a deep dive with the legal analyst behind that crazy, crazy case. She answers all your questions. Is Natalia actually a child? Is she an adult pretending to be a child? I got the answers. So watch The Curious Case of Natalia Grace and that's your homework. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. TV I say with Ashley Ray another episode another episode TV I say with Ashley Ray is an Earwolf production made by me Ashley Ray Harris it's engineered by Abby Aguilar produced by Scott Sani executive produced by Amelia Chapelo and our original theme song is by Rafia it means so much to me if you go rate review subscribe follow TV I say let us know what you think and tell your friends share with your golden girls tell your boys If you love my TV recommendations, let everyone you know know. For special TV club members, join my Patreon. And you can also find my full archive ad-free episodes of TV I Say over on Stitcher Premium. Use promo code TV I Say, all one word, for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium. Premium.